Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are coming to you live for the first time with video after several attempts. We're pretty sure this one's working. John, how what's your confidence level right now? Confidence level. Are we doing like one to ten? You're right. I have like an in like an innate confidence in myself to do things I shouldn't be able to do. But I have a solid eight that this is working. Yeah. Now this was like like my confidence. Yeah, like if this is my confidence level on doing something basic, like cut a straight line on like a piece of construction paper, it'd be near zero. But we are, uh, we're we're at a high mark right now. I'm feeling good. Right. Yeah, I'm at a good nine. It's third times the charm. You're at a good nine. How many times we've done this so far? Well, well there you go. <laughs> out, out of zero to that, and you're right. But hey, we're here. We're back. We're here. Yeah, just in time for the Jaguars' season to be over. Uh, Five, six days ago in Kansas City, they lost to the Chiefs 27-20 in the divisional round. Uh, John, takeaways, like just like personally, emotionally, I guess, from the season ending. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was definitely like the most different ending to a season I've ever experienced covering a team because, well, for one, last year during week 18, I had COVID, so I was <laughs> able to actually – you know, watch this game without, yeah. you know, hacking up a, a lung completely. But Jesus, it was definitely Jesus. a feeling of, of – yeah, fair. It was definitely a feeling of not like – they obviously missed out, you know, on something because this was a game that they very easily, you know, could have won. You know, I, in my opinion, there were three plays. You know, the foyer dropped interception, the Agnew fumble, and the Kirk drop that – really determine that game and that if I think if two of those plays go the other way, I think the Jaguars personally win that game, but it wasn't like, like after 17, like a feeling of, Oh crap, you know, we just completely missed our chance. It was like a feeling of, you know, it sucks that this run is over and that this specific team is kind of done playing because, you know, the NFL is not for long league for a reason, you know, they, they aren't going to be the same team you know, next year that they were this year. And I think people, you know, the city fell in love with this team. I think this team, you know, fell in love with itself. It was a, it was the tightest Jaguars team I've been around. And, you know, that I've been around some close teams, like that one in 15 team, you know, they, they were close. I mean, they, they had to be because they literally had nothing else, but you know, it was, it was just one of those seasons. So it was definitely a somber ending, but I think it 
I mean, me and you said it once they won the AFC South. Anything from that point is gravy. And in my opinion, to kind of go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes in a game that you arguably should have won, you know, in Doug Peterson's first year kind of building this program, I'm, I'm not really sure what else you can ask for. Yeah. Hold on. I think we're having some technical difficulties. <laughs> the, no, we're not. Get this last time. Let's, I'm going to check the screen this time. Don't worry. really quick. Um, what I was going to okay. say in response <laughs> to that is, like, it was definitely different in that, like, they'll be able to come back from this, and it's not like, oh, like, it's completely over, and that was our only chance. But there was a little bit of that just because of the Patrick Mahomes injury. Like, there was plenty of – there was a three big plays that you mentioned, and then there was, like, Arden Key and Walker Little each had big penalties. There's, I'm sure, one or two other big plays that swung it. Uh, but the fact that Patrick Mahomes was basically playing on half of, or just one leg for the majority of the game, that one kind of like made it feel like, okay, like we're always kind of playing with house money and like we're just happy to be here in the playoffs. But the fact that that happened was like maybe something slipped away a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you know, the fact that when you look at the game, you know, officially, you know, no matter how it happened, Chad Henney had an 88 yard touchdown drive that. You know, when you lose a game by seven points, you know, arguably the Chad Henney drive is what kind of defined it. And it it felt like, you know, things were different for the Jaguars when, you know, the Chiefs got the ball, Chad Henney going in there at the two-yard line. Once he scored that touchdown, though, it just – it felt like the Chiefs were, you know, kind of just, you know, a team of destiny. And he didn't do anything particularly impressive. Uh, he, his, what, like average – yards per pass was like 3.3 or something like that so he was literally just throwing it as quickly as possible you had the 39 yard run from Pancheco you had a 15 yard penalty on Arden Key which to me was already a soft penalty but then to see them not throw the flag on Kalen Saunders for in my opinion a more egregious you know type of hit later was weird but I thought of like Travis Kelsey you know he had 17 targets which is Absolutely hilarious because everybody knew going into the game that the Chiefs were going to span, you know, to Travis Kelsey. But, right. I mean, 97 yards, you know, it's not like he had that many big plays that killed them. You know, he had obviously the two red zone touchdowns, which we kind of figured if the Jaguars let the Chiefs into the red zone, you know, they were going to score. The Jags weren't a great red zone defense this season, especially against tight ends. But, man, I felt like, you know, again, the Jaguars, they, they were three plays away from being right there. And, like you said, missed opportunity, but I'll take Mahomes on one ankle over, you know, still most nearly every every quarterback in the league stands a chinny. Chinny. Yeah, I mean, that drive was pretty brutal just because it was a former Jaguar, but it definitely felt like just a flashback to <laughs> yeah. Alex Smith. It wasn't, it wasn't brutal because it was a former Jaguar. It was brutal because it was Chad Henney. <laughs> that too. I mean, yeah, it's Chad Henney. But like <laughs> – yeah, I, I will say it was a reality hit when they said like 15th or whatever year, 15th year veteran Chad Henney. <laughs> like, holy crap, dude, he's been here this long. I, I remember the days of the Chad Henney, Blaine Gabbert quarterback debates on Twitter. Now, that's how deep these roots go into football Twitter. I remember those being legit debates, and now I look back on it and I'm like, God, man, there there were children that could have been raised during that time. There were <laughs> hobbies that could have been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, my beard wasn't that great quite yet. <laughs> haven't been as long. Haven't been around as long. You had Thankfully. a take. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, right now, tell me. Who who do you think you would have went for in I was in middle school during those arguments. I was having takes on the on the bus <laughs> to school at six AM. Seventh or eighth grade. Seventh or eighth grade. Probably eighth. I was in like tenth grade when I started firing takes off on Twitter. So that explains a lot. Yeah, slip the game up. You're not you're not a true poster, but nonetheless, nonetheless. Started late. Uh Kelsey started earlier, though. From, like, an X's and O's standpoint, was there anything that you saw from the Jags of, like, what they tried to do, I mean, what they should have done, et cetera? I, I, I say this knowing that I'm just not realizing while we're recording live that I did not send you the All-22 <laughs> film of the game. but I didn't want to watch it anyway. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm I too burnt at this point. Too burnt out. I understand. Like, it's like once the season's over, you're like, what's what's the point? <laughs> you know? like. Right. I thought watching it live that, like, they did try to bracket coverage him, in my opinion. Like, they always had somebody on him. But, you know, Doug, Doug Peterson was asked about it after the game. I tweeted that he didn't seem that disappointed in their efforts against him because he basically was like, you know, yeah, he had a lot of catches, but it was mostly short completions and stuff on scramble drills, which, you know, most coaches will scratch up scramble drills to, you know, there's nothing you can really do about it, you know, if it's completed, you know, especially against Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, who are probably the best scramble drill duo in the entire NFL. I mean, Mahomes on that first touchdown drive made like three or four throws alone that would like be like top 10, top 15 throws of this entire season from anybody. You know, yeah. like he, he, he was on his way to historic day if he didn't get hurt. Yeah, and he's not so, enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> – I thought that overall, like their plan against Kelsey was mostly fine. It was just, you know, he was getting open on those plays. And then in critical situations, I mean, it's third and six. It's just hard to stop a six yard completion to Travis Kelsey. Right. You know, like it, it just is. And they, they picked on the linebackers, you know, they picked on Devin Lloyd, Chad Muma, because that, that's what teams did all season. You know, it's the chess game in football. You know, Doug Peterson, he picks on a defense's weakness every week. The Jaguars' weakness, you know, week in and week out was, you know, the rookie linebackers and coverage. I mean, Gerald Everett had 100 yards and a touchdown a week earlier. So, Travis Kelsey was going to get his. So, I thought they had a decent plan for him. I thought they kind of limited explosives. I mean, they're playing overall, you know, like that first drive, they were getting good pressure on him. There were several times when I thought they had Mahomes down and he just made a Mahomes play. So, right. it was a kind of defensive effort that I kind of just scratched, you know, to – Mahomes was Mahomes and Kelsey was Kelsey and the Jaguars in their current form don't have the horses to kind of, you know, roll against that. Right. I also think uh, Andy Reid is not underrated necessarily, but underappreciated right now during the stretch that Chiefs have had. <laughs> Just because, like, obviously Patrick Mahomes is getting his flowers for being the MVP front runner, as he should be, as, and he should be on Center more often. Because, like, the jumping out of the pocket play was, like, like, every single time I watch him play, it's like he makes the most crazy throw I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but And then, like, Travis Kelsey obviously went off, as we all knew he would. But, like, my point is a big part of that is Andy Reid just, like, yeah. even if people of other teams have done it all year, but, like, just exploiting mismatches against the Jaguars and, like, when uh, obviously, like, Chad Henney wasn't the driving factor behind the 98-yard drive, the run game is kind of, like, Taking a lot of steps, Reed gets a lot of credit too. Uh, this is just my point. Post Hill, yeah, including uh, no, I, absolutely. I, 
I mean, just watching the Chiefs offense, you know, I mean, all like the eye candy Andy Reid throws at you, you know, before a play, especially a defense like the Jaguars who they like to blitz. So they, as a result, have to play a lot of man coverage at times. Like it was, I was getting tired watching them follow the motion guys sometimes. It's like Kadarius Tony was, you know, giving Ray Sean Jenkins and Trey Herndon like just an entire, you know, week's worth of, you know, the conditioning out there. Right. It, like he throws a lot at you. And one note I will say, I recommend anybody who ever goes to a Chiefs game live, you know, the Chiefs and Jaguars, they play next year. Anybody, when you get there early and you're watching the quarterbacks warm up, watch Patrick Mahomes warm up because it is the most ridiculous thing ever. He, he's like rolling like like he's out of a pocket and like doing like an un, like unscripted play and like just throwing completely off balance and off platform super casually. 60 yards, 70 yard passes. And it looks like it's like the most boring thing ever to him. And he's just doing it to like, you know, like get the juices flowing. Right. And I'm watching it before the game and I'm like, Jesus, this dude is, he's, he's something else. So it's just, I mean, everybody knew, you know, when the Jags drew the Chiefs that it was going to be tough because, I mean, it's the Chiefs, you know, it's, it's Patrick freaking Mahomes, man. Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs are a powerhouse by themselves. They're like, Mahomes is the best quarterback ever, but. They were also a playoff team before he got here there, so they're just they're the Chiefs. They're good. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Gus. Did, did you did you not like my uh, my? I'll say it right now. I'll I'll say it for the pod. Patrick Mahomes is, in my opinion, you know, through five years, the best. I think he's already the most talented quarterback ever. And in fifteen years, I'm gonna make sure I come back to that tweet and respond to every single person. And I will wait fifteen years. I already have it. Market like that, that. That's a more important event to me than most other things happening in 15 years. That's probably up there number two for me. I'm pretty sure I'll have a wedding anniversary around that time. But that, this this falls right in after that. He, he's gonna be he's <laughs> gonna be the best. Ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he five AFC exactly he's five AFC championships. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Five in five years as a starter. I mean. I just hope he doesn't like keep getting injured because as much as it was like, oh, the Jaguars have a chance now, once he kind of like went down, it was like, man, like it always sucks watching good player. I mean, any player, obviously, but like especially the fun ones go down. And like if he's it, hobbled against the Bengals. Who said so the best tweet I saw during the game was friend of the podcast, Pino Jack, one of the most. You know, incredible and deranged tweeters out there. Sadly, yeah. he was like, "Oh no, I don't like the idea of losing to Henny Patrick. Please be okay." <laughs> so, that that sums it up perfectly. Like, right. You would rather play Patrick Mahomes and Chad Henny just for the idea of losing to Chad Henny. Um, other side of the ball, was there like I feel like one of the biggest reactions for the other side of the ball was Travis Kelsey just kind of had a day, and Patrick Mahomes with Patrick Mahomes. So made sense, but then for the Jaguars' offense, it felt a little bit one-dimensional at times. Do you think that was like? What do you think the reason was, and do you think it was necessary? I I really don't know what the reason was. I I thought coming into the game that they were going to make kind of an, an emphasis to run the ball, and I know in Week Ten they really struggled running the ball against the Chiefs. You know, or maybe that's just I. Yeah, I remember us talking about this last time when we looked it up, and they averaged like four something yards per carry. But I remember they had a couple of tackles for loss. So maybe Doug, you know, he kind of just stuck to his guns, and he's like, I'm going to do what got us here, which is airing it out, even if it's, you know, a horizontal passing game, which 
you know, for better or worse, their passing game this year is more of a horizontal passing game regardless than anything. So it kind of felt right. like he was just, you know, then they ran, you know, at one of the highest clips of screen passes, you know, of any team this year. So they kind of just felt like they were doing, you know, riding the horse that got them there. But 10 carries to Travis Etienne shouldn't have happened. Because, I mean, when you rewatch the game, I mean, he, he, he was playing well. You know, that touchdown he had, that was pretty much completely him. You know, he was able to break the tackle, keep his balance, and score from four yards out. Uh, he had that really big run on uh, a third few one. plays. Yeah, yeah, a few plays before Kirk's touchdown. That was, you know, again, just him. Like, he, he should have got more carries. I'm not going to say more touches because – I firmly believe that I would rather, you know, if you're a coach, you would rather throw the ball to Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Travis Etienne. But he should have got more carries because it feels like that would have taken a lot off of the offensive shoulders in the second half because they, they that's what lost them in the game. They, they just could not get anything going in, you know, the third quarter. and they, It was a little too late for the offense. I mean, the Jaguars, they forced the Chiefs to punt on, what, their first two drives of – the second half, I want to say. So, yeah. I mean, the chances were there. And the Jaguars, they just, you know, they, they kind of stalled over and over. And I do think not letting, you know, Travis Etienne be that guy is a reason why. Yeah, I kind of expected them to go with the quick game a lot in the beginning of the game, just because, as you've said, that's kind of been their best offensive plan throughout the whole season. And also just to kind of like the whole playoff mantra of offensive game planning to make DBs tackle and just kind of, like, play off football. <laughs> so, but then, like, the fact that it never really felt like they got away from that, and, like, there was a couple cool things that they did to, like, I don't know, a couple adjustments that they made, but it just, like, did not feel like enough at all. So, and, like, I mean, the offensive line was, like, what what I thought might have been, like, one factor of, like, why they were doing what they were doing. Because, like, Lawrence felt like he was under pressure so much in the first half whenever he did drop back and like the interior was just getting crushed. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I, what people pointed out as the weak part of the Jaguars offensive line, you know, left guard and center coming into the game. I mean, that's, that's what was exploited. I remember, you know, one of the sacks they gave up, you know, they attempted to go for a deep shot off a of play action and, you know, kind of similar to the play that Kirk dropped on, you know, he ran like a deep crosser, deep post and, Forner just got you know, completely blew up from the go that Lawrence wasn't even able to hit his drop before he got sacked. And one of the Ingram screens, I think Fortner, you know, missed the block on too. It, it was it was just a rough game for Fortner, but I think we all kind of expected it to be. I mean, Chris Jones, for my money, was the best interior lineman in football this year. And I think, you know, him or Nick Bosa should be defensive player of the year. So we obviously expected that. You know, we expected Chris Jones to have his wins against Tyler Shatley. It just felt like you know, the Jaguars probably sh- should have expected that. You know, maybe they did ex- expect that, and they didn't do enough to kind of compensate for it. But it was just one of those games where you know, I felt like particularly in the trenches, you know, again, the Jaguars, year one of this build, don't yet have the horses for it. You know, like Luke Fortner, uh, maybe in another year or two, you know, he'll fare better in games like this. You know, maybe in a year or two, you know, Ben Barch or somebody else will be at left guard, and, you know, they'll fare well against – a guy like Chris Jones, but it's just where they're at right now. It just, you know, it it, it wasn't a matchup that they were going to win. I, th- I thought Sheriff had a solid game. And Doug mentioned after the game that a lot of the issues were communication issues between the line and the running back. So, like, that one play where Saunders hit Trevor, I feel like that was, you know, a good example. It just seemed like 
you know, the whether it was because of the stadium. Yeah, yeah. It just it, it felt like they were missing protections, and it was something that they didn't like. Something they didn't have an issue with all year. It felt like it felt like they were a very technically sound unit above all else, and then everything just kind of you know fell apart this weekend. It, I, I'll say it would have been a good weekend to have a pass blocker like James Robinson, but nonetheless, we 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 march forth. We go forth. Uh, do you have any other general takeaways from the game before we kind of move on? I I've, I thought again, you know that. Personally, I, I want to get your take on this. If Jamal Agnew doesn't fumble that ball, do the Jaguars win the game? And I'm not saying, you know, they score a touchdown on that play if he doesn't fumble it. Like, obviously, you have to factor in, do they end up scoring? So, if Jamal Agnew doesn't fumble that ball, he gets tackled instead of fumbling it. Do they win the game, in your opinion? I don't think so. I wasn't really feeling, like, obviously, I was excited about the comeback as it was happening. But, like, even if they score a touchdown, I was still like, I, I don't know, like, I mean, Reed, as we've said before, is, like, kind of infamous for his late-game management, so maybe he would have botched it. But at the same time, like, I feel confident in him as a play caller to get, like, I feel like they would have needed three to six plays, and that's about it. I want to point out that we were right about Reed being completely weird in big games. That that challenge he had was, yeah. like, <laughs> like, challenging, like, whether it was, like, an inch or something. It was the most neurotic, like – like tiny picture thing in a big moment that if the Jaguars had won that game, people would have, you know, chalked it up to you know, classic Andy Reid, you know, playoff moment. Cause I mean, at the time I was like, dude, <laughs> what, what is going on here? <laughs> Andy. Yeah. It didn't look, was that on the Henny drive or maybe it was a head drive? Yeah, drive? no, it was, it was in the second half. It was, it was in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was definitely, I, I, I'm trying to remember if it was on the drive where they, had the third and one, and Kelsey had like the worst, uh, what's it called? One of the worst ever QB sneaks, tight end sneaks, whatever you want to call it. Okay, here it was in like the middle of the third quarter. Mahomes threw it to Pancheco on second and seven, and they ruled Pancheco. it. Pancheco. Pacheco. <laughs> Shut up. Shut, you know, one of us is doing research here, and the other one is. I'm okay. just helping you out because I've done my yeah. research. Uh, you're, you're over here sitting in your Andrew Garfield, bohemian, <laughs> you know, devil may care mindset. And I'm over Yeah, yeah, exactly. I watched TikTok boom whatever today. It was fantastic. But I'm nonetheless, I'm on TikTok. It, it's an Andrew Garfield movie. But none, none, <laughs> nonetheless, it was like a second and seven pass and that got six yards. And so it was like third and one or first down. And Reed challenged it. It was just like, dude, what? What's the point? And yeah, they didn't get it. Yeah, that was why Noah Gray went up the middle the very next play with Travis Kelsey mm. pushing him. I, I, I don't know what it, it, it was. The masterclass in Andy Reid. And if the Jaguars had won that game, you know, it, it would have been something I've been remembered. But I mean, here, just looking at their second half, you know, drives they went punt, punt, touchdown, fumble, interception, field goal. So. Yeah, two punts to open the drive, and your touchdown doesn't come until you know the fourth, the start, or the yeah, basically the start of the fourth quarter. So that's just not going to win you a game, right? I think it's just because the Jaguars made it a one possession game. Like they scored a touchdown, and then the Chiefs scored a touchdown right after them in the second half. I feel like so then it was, at the end of the game, I was like, all right, if the Jaguars score a touchdown, like 
We've seen the Chiefs like be able to like keep a lead, I guess. That's fair. Um, I, I, I feel like the Jaguars, they were finding enough answers for the Chiefs in the second half. Like, because obviously, you know, they scored that touchdown, but the Chiefs' second half, they went punt, punt, field goal, touchdown, punt, punt. So, I mean, the Jaguars, they, they had a better second half against the Chiefs, at least in my opinion, than they had the first half, you know, because, I mean, the Chiefs, they scored two different touchdown drives in the first half. So, it, it was, you know, it, it, it kind of summed up the year, you know, kind of what could have been, because there are a lot of games that you're like, you know, could have, should have, would have, you know, like right. there's one to two to three plays that changed that changed pretty much all their losses outside of a couple. And it's a cliche to say that there are four to five plays a game that impact and really decide a football game. But I'm a firm believer in it. And I think this Jaguars team kind of, kind of showed it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's always a couple of swings. And like, it's frustrating too, because it's the same thing that happened in the regular season game against the Chiefs. Saying the same thing. It, it felt like the same exact game. <laughs> it's the same thing with Chris Jones, just like being dominant and like everybody expecting it. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? So, what are you going to do? I, 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 don't, I can't have a jersey. I don't have a jersey accent at all. I will say, for my, final, my final takeaway is for Kansas City. Uh-huh. Arthur Bryant's terrific barbecue. Kitchen staffers yelling at each other. Best ribs I ever had. Recommend it. Ten, oh, 15 out of 10. Great barbecue. Kansas City, really cool city to check out. I thought Arrowhead was like Arrowhead, a playoff experience was to me like the best like football like experience I've covered in a game. And I'd probably put like the Jags, Titans, Jags, Chargers up there. Uh, UCF and the Peach Bowl against Auburn's up there, but I mean Arrowhead was just crazy. So I, I I recommend a trip to Arrowhead, like if the Jaguars next time they play the Chiefs. Anybody who wants to see like just a really cool stadium, go to Arrowhead. But their scoreboards suck. Their scoreboards <laughs> they make scoreboards me appreciate. Suck. Yeah, their scoreboards are terrible. They make me appreciate the Jaguar scoreboard. It's like from the press box, it's like the size of a microwave, and it barely like <laughs> you can barely like see the score or anything. Like th- their scoreboards are completely useless. They like, I, I know they, they want to go with the old-timey nostalgia feel, but they Khan had the right idea about scoreboards because Arrowhead Stadium, elite stadium, great people, worst scoreboards in the NFL. Do you do any tailgating for the game? I walk through a tailgate. You walk through a tailgate? Like, I walk through, like, a – Yeah, like, basically what, like, my parking pass was. It was, like, a 15-minute walk, like, from, like, the media entrance, and you have to, like, walk through, like, a tunnel – and then a sea of tailgaters. And dude, I saw like <laughs> school I saw like school buses and vans like completely renovated. Like I saw one school bus that was renovated to where they painted the front of it to look like Andy Reid's face. <laughs> it was it was did it have yeah, like a was, massive mustache across the front. Yeah, it did. It was called Big Red. I kept it moving. I didn't want to stop and take a picture. I was ah. I was in enemy territory. I, I kept it moving, but no, nah, it was, and cool, then when you get when you get inside, like from the press box, it's like all glass windows around. You can see like all the parking, basically. It's like in the Jaguars press box, you can basically only see the field and the Chiefs. You can see like behind the stadium. Yeah. And it was literally just miles and miles and miles. Of people, like, it was it was insane. It, it was it was a cool experience. That's the same thing at the Gator Stadium. That's a sneaky <laughs> like good point of view in Gainesville. Just go up to the Gators press box. The difference here, few differences. You mentioned differences. UCF earlier. I can't mention Florida. Few differences between this game and a game at the Gator Stadium. 
This was an important game being played. It was a postseason game being played. A quarterback on each team threw a touchdown, and there were respected head coaches and fan bases. Other than that, it was just like a game. That's it, though. The list doesn't keep State. going. I thought you were have like oh, three. The list can keep going. <laughs> the, the Billy Napier lost two recruits during the game. I, the, the list can keep going, buddy. Mm. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I did Do mention you know? UCF. <laughs> <I did laughs> hey, hey. They're going absolutely nowhere in the Big 12 under Gus Malzahn, and you can't tell me nothing. Mm. Just happy to be here, baby. That's the UCF Cree. It, it's actually on my degree. Just happy to be here. <laughs> That's what it says it's printed out. That really does. Um, do you know, is the Kansas City game next year in KC or is it in Jax? I was just I think it's in Jax. Or, well, uh, if I, they I'm, played in Jackson this year, I guess it would make sense if they played the regular season. I'm pretty sure year. it is in Jacksonville. I would be willing to bet the mortgage. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they got next year. They got obviously the divisional teams at home. Then they have the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Panthers, Bengals, Falcons, and Ravens. <laughs> they got they got some tough road. They got the, some tough home games, man. Yeah, Mahomes and Burrow both being at home is pretty cool, though. I'm gonna have to try to make it out there for the Steph Curry pregame impersonations. But their road games are pretty easy. They play Cleveland, the Saints. Buccaneers, Steelers, and the Bills Mafia, the team, the most irrelevant playoff franchise of the last five to six oh decades. Gosh. Like it feels like it's been so long now that they've been playoff con- or Super Bowl contenders, quote unquote, legitimate, real Super Bowl contenders, and they just like haven't really done anything. They haven't gone out this bad since they took over in Orange Park TGIF Fridays. <laughs> Was that recently? Because they went out pretty bad last playoffs. Yeah, that was they. They came like I, the year that the Jaguars hosted them in the wild card. It was like the year like they went like eight and eight or seven or nine or something. Like they, yeah, they sucked. Tyrod. Yeah, and they got in because the Ravens lost in Week Seventeen <laughs> to the Bengals. Yeah, that's right. And like the, it was like the Bills' first game and like playoff game in like twenty years, and they talked nonstop about how they were going to take over Jacksonville, and they took over basically the equivalent of a Buffalo Wild Wings and <laughs> downtown Jacksonville. That was. That's about it. Yeah, I remember people getting nervous because there was like a couple of flights full of Bills fans, obviously, and then they got there, or some of them got there early, so there was some royal and red. <laughs> to, but to, yeah, it was to like, see your team taking that flight to see your team lose the like not only to lose the Blake Bortles in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but to not score a touchdown. <laughs> was it ten six or ten three? Uh, I, I think it was. Seven, I think it was ten six. I think it was ten six. They they John's didn't score a touchdown. It was, it was ten to three. It was ten to three. Well, somebody has to be. <laughs> well, now I'm the graphics slash video slash producer guy. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you make it sound like you just got that responsibility after I showed a complete incapability to do it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah, no, Anyways. Anyways. Yeah. So talking about the four playoff teams, not just the Bengals and Chiefs, but kind of like the topic here is lessons to be learned from just how those teams are constructed. I mean, in terms of roster construction, in terms of schemes they kind of like favor in or major in, uh, what's like what's like one takeaway I guess you have from just – 
the trenches. The trenches, honestly, dude. I mean, the, the Bengals, I, I, I know that their offensive line is what it is, but I mean, they they took a roll of the dice on Trey Hendrickson, who I personally did not think was that appealing for free agent. He's been, you know, one of the best pass rushers in the league, you know, the last two seasons. And they also have, you know, a, a DJ Reader. I mean, they completely dominated the Bills up front, you know, defensively. The Chiefs have obviously invested in their offensive line and defensive line. You know what I mean? Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Yeah, that's a great trio. Orlando Brown stinks. But outside of that, you know, their offensive line, you know, has some dudes on their defensive line. You know, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, uh, the the Greek god, George, whose last name I'm not even going to. Carl Aftis. Carl so I felt so bad for him when he covered Kirk on that play. <laughs> that, was, that was cruel. Yeah. That was cool. And then, you know, obviously – for the 49ers, I mean, their uh, their defense is built, you know, on the trenches and, you know, just having those dudes up front. And the Eagles, obviously, you know, they have – I saw a tweet uh, during the game against the Giants where it was like second-rounder Landon Dickerson is hurt, uh, first-rounder Andre Dillard is filling in for him. And I'm like, that just, you know, that like sums up, you know, like the, the Eagles and how they're built, you know, they're built up front. They mm-hmm. – They've paid less attention to positions like linebacker, which obviously the <laughs> Jaguars have not, you know, gone the same way of, and safety. But, you know, they've loaded in on, you know, the defensive and offensive lines, and they've loaded in on skill players. Right. I mean, I think you can say the same thing about the other teams too. Like the Chiefs are pretty dominant on both lines, like for offense as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I thought that the Chiefs line held up really well against the Jaguars uh, pass rush. Like, it was, like uh, after the first drive, I thought the Chiefs line, you know, played well. I, I, I thought Orlando Brown had a bad game, but otherwise I thought the Chiefs interior did well against, you know, the, the Jaguars front. It was one of the differences. So, yeah, you got to invest in, in, in both lines, in my opinion, to win at this point in the season. And, you know, the Jaguars, you know, they, they kind of saw it, you know, they – had, you know, they obviously invested in their offensive line, but, you know, you had a young guy at center, a young guy at left tackle, and a backup at left guard, and we kind of saw, you know, what happened. Yes, we did. <laughs> Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. I would say the biggest, like, or just a takeaway for me is, like, the importance of scheme adaptability because, like, there's so many different types of teams, and they're also talented, but, like, with the Niners, you have, like, Kyle Shanahan scheming up, like, incredible skill players in a West uh, – or in a wide zone scheme. You've got heavy RPO and, like, quarterback run scheme for the Eagles, but they can also throw it deep with great weapons, great skill players again. And then the Chiefs and the Bengals have, like, just, like, probably the two best quarterbacks in the league right now. Like, I feel like Burrow's kind of ascended to – now that Herbert and Allen are, like – on like a like some recency bias here, but like in the past month they've kind of like yeah lowered yeah Burrow's like making his way up there. I feel like he's kind of secured the number two spot. So like you got to be able to game plan against elite defenses or elite quarterbacks, uh, but as well as like elite scheming too. And so like 
rather than being pigeonholed into like, oh, like we're a West Coast offense that does quick game or like we're a Tampa two defense that's a three four. Like, I think like for this offseason, looking ahead for the Jaguars, kind of like not trying not to pigeonhole. Like at the end of the game, like passing offense and then like being able to tackle and play man coverage on defense is like usually what wins because of the great quarterbacks. But I mean, the schemes just change so much from like going to one high to two high back and forth, favoring running and passing. Got to be ready for anything. I want to cry. I feel like, I feel like how my dad would have felt if I was ever good at a sport and, you know, watched me succeed. Like you, <laughs> you saying Herbert's kind of – I put Herbert in tier three. Uh, I think Mahomes in his own tier and then Burrow in front of Allen in tier two. And then you put Herbert in tier three with Lawrence, Lamar, whatever. I'd, Her, Herbert, Herbert not top three to me. What's it take? You I'm think proud. he's like – Maybe he like uh, has such a low A dot, partly because of the offense, and partly because of slow receivers, but also because he's just scared, so he gets 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 through the pro, pro uh, progressions quickly. Play out of structure more, fine by. Yeah, he's a robot. You gotta. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, he is. I mean, I, it's not anything specific, honestly. I just feel like like the probably overall like consistency game to game. Like he's a guy who like he has insane highs and then he'll also kind of go through more lulls, I feel like, than some of the other guys. Yeah. Would you say there's like in terms of roster building for ahead for the Jaguars, like in terms of like corners who can play man or like I don't know, guys who can like stop the run because of like the division um that the Jaguars are in. Like importance to lean anyway, because like it's hard to like actually be adaptable. It's easier to kind of yeah. like, find players to fit your scheme. It's the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like you said, it's important to have a coach who's adaptable. And I think the Jaguars, ha- like this playoff has kind of made me think, like you know, like you said, like not saying your your head coach has to be like an offensive play call or whatever, because I think the same thing could be, you know, go for like a defensive guy. Like the 49ers are super adaptable on defense, you know, so I could go for D'Amico Ryans. But like uh, to me, I think the playoffs is when the value comes in having a guy like Doug Peterson over a guy like Sean McDermott, because, you know, both can obviously lead a team, but in the playoffs, like you said, it kind of comes down to a schematic edge. And, you know, I'll take a guy like Doug, who's, you know, innovative and adaptive over a guy like McDermott, whose edge is kind of, you know, like, as a leader, kind of instilling a culture and whatnot. So uh, I do think the Jaguars have to find, you know, certain players. I, 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 It's hard for me because I think they still have to identify what should be the plan, like their identity moving forward. Like, okay, do we want to be a 3-4? Do we want to be a 4-3? Like, what do we want out of our defense? Because we saw their defense kind of change shape throughout, you know, the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we saw them play a completely different style at times over the second half of the season. So – I think first you have to find out like who you want to be and then basically attack it like that. But I think they're still going to have, you know, some of the same emphasis you know, guys who, you know, score out really well athletically uh, up front. I think they're going to want guys who are long. I don't think that matters as much to them in the back seven because Chad Muma has, you know, he's, he's like me. I got dinosaur arms, you know? Ch- yeah. Chad, I, I, I do too, bro. I got T-Rex arms. You know, I, 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 I play guard for like, Garter center for my entire, you know, junior high and high school football career. And I remember one time in the spring game, they put me at right tackle. And I remember even <laughs> just lining up in my head before the ball snapped. I'm like, 
this might not go very well. <laughs> and then I get into my kickstands and my arms are so short. I couldn't reach. He just ran by me. And I'm like, no, you know, like this, this isn't going to work. So other than him and, you know, they, and like Darius Williams is a smaller guy, you know, they've kind of gone in on, you know, kind of the athletic prototype when it comes to defenders. But I don't know. Like I said, I feel like they need to kind of figure out who they want to be first. That's definitely true. <laughs> At least you got some playing time. I had I was a quarterback and I had the hip fluidity of like the Tin Man from <laughs> Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Gosh, Just didn't even see I, the field. Small and slow. I'm I'm kicking off my uh, spring, you know, youth football coaching season in like a week. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let you know if I ever saw you on the field, me calling plays, <laughs> I'm attacking you every single play, guys. I'm coming at Maybe you. Maybe one with- day. Maybe one I'm day. coming at you with everything. Crack toss, running back you, one-on-one in space. <laughs> I'm getting you out of there, my friend. Right now I'm continuing my football career by doing flag football instead. Because I'm a quarterback yeah. in some corner. Heck yeah. No, I was I was absolutely terrible. I was like I was good for like the coaches like would tell me like, you know, like smart and like stuff, like know the playbook, but it was literally like I I could just remember the plays and that was about it. Like my athleticism below zero, my strength below zero, my uh, grit <laughs> one. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I just, one. I didn't have that. I didn't have that dog in me. Oh man! Well, I'm really. <laughs> it warms my heart that you were able to give yourself the one point for grit. <laughs> hey, I wore arm pads. I had grit. I only did that because one game, like I went into a block and the guy's like face mask hit me here and it was bruised in school. And I'm like, this isn't even a cool injury to tell people about. <laughs> like, the no. one injury I had in high school that was super cool was I, I took my dog for a bike ride and she saw a squirrel. <laughs> so I fell off and fractured my elbow. So I, 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 I had a good one. My last, my last year playing, I was like, so we we had a pool in the backyard. And it was like you know like a concrete pool deck and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was like a section on the pool deck where the filter is. So you have that little hole, like yeah. the lid that can come off. Yeah. And it was loose or something. I don't know. My dog's running around the pool. I'm trying to get her to go inside, <laughs> so I'm chasing her. I step on it, fall oh, in it no, completely. John. Yeah. And oh, I, no. I like broke. I broke my pinky toe and I hurt my leg and I come to like weightlifting the next day with like the doctors know and I'm like, Hey, hurt pinky toe. And they're like, okay. (laughs) It's a broken toe. What do you mean? Okay. What's a broken toe even like? Like, did you have to get a boot for it? Nah, I didn't. Just imagine you walking around with crutches. (laughs) It was the pinky pinky toe. I just slumped for a little bit. Hmm. (laughs) All right. Where were we? Fun, fun trip down memory lane. All right. Any other, like, thoughts from the playoffs? I guess we can do some predictions. Who do you think is going to win each game? Chiefs are going to beat the Bengals narrowly. It's going to come down to the last drive. 49ers are going to beat the Eagles. And then Chiefs over 49ers in the Super Bowl. Again. Yeah. <laughs> that was my original pick, but I'm going to switch it up completely because, like – I like Brock Purdy playing in Philly. Like eventually he's gonna throw a pick. Eventually, like I hope catch so. it. Like, like Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl just doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, like it would be pretty sweet for Kyle Shanahan's sake for like his legacy to take Mister Earl into the Super Bowl is pretty cool. So I wouldn't mind it, but I don't know. Seems yeah, like, like, Jalen Hurts kind of deserves to see a Super Bowl more. So 
I guess I'm kind of pulling for the birds. I, I don't want to do any of the Brock Purdy this course if he wins the Super Bowl, dude. I, yeah. I don't want to do any of it. Any of it. Um, I want no parts in the Brock Purdy winning a Super Bowl, but I do, I do think the Eagles – I mean, the 49ers kind of out-schemed the Eagles. Jalen Hurts runs into some trouble this weekend. I can see that. But maybe, maybe the Eagles roll over them, though, man. I mean, it's, you know, the two best rosters in the NFC. So, I don't know. It's going to be a fun weekend. It's like the two best rosters versus the two best quarterbacks. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Do, do you think – how many off-seasons do you think the Jaguars are from being – able to consistently be in the conversation with one of these four teams because these four teams aren't going anywhere anytime soon. You know, the Eagles are going to be good for a while. The Bengals and Chiefs are going to be good for a while. The 49ers are good with Brock Purdy, so I'm just going to assume that they're going to be good most years. Uh, I don't know. Eagles, like, I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but, like, it feels like they, like, went all in a little bit. So, like, I don't think they're going to, like, crash and burn or anything like that and be, like, not good for a while. I, I don't know if they deserve to be on the same pedestal. But to – Answer your question. Two, two good off seasons, two good drafts mostly, because like once you have the drafts to kind of fill out the roster and hopefully draft an all pro guy or three, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, then you can like, then people will be able to, or veterans will want to come to Jacksonville and sign for less. It's pretty simple, and like, I don't know, two, like, it kind of has to be in two because of like the value of Trevor's rookie contract. I think because like if yeah. you don't even like sniff a Super Bowl before he signs like, his uh, gigantic extension, then, like, I thought like that's not really a great look. They did sniff a Super Bowl. All right, they they got to they gotta take a big they whiff. They got a whiff. They got to get, they gotta right, they gotta get right up to the pie and get their nose all over it. <laughs> really take it in. Not just a little, oh, I got it, yeah. See, go to church, now, it's vi- now it's visual, so I have to, I have to visualize it. Fair, fair, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think they could, if you have a good draft next year. And like the the biggest thing for the Jaguars now is having young guys develop. Like they need, like, what's the biggest thing the Jaguars need entering two thousand twenty three? They need Trayvon Walker to take a next step. You know, they need Trevor Lawrence to take a next step. They need Devin Lloyd to take. Yeah, you know, that's a, a big one. A couple of steps, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the biggest thing for them, I think. It's not like acquiring new pieces because, I mean, they're obviously going to do that. They're going to, you know, I mean, they're going to add a first and second round pick, you know, to this off to this offense, this team. And, you know, along with, I think they have, what, nine picks right now and like, like three fourth rounders or something. So they're going to add pieces. And obviously, Cal- Calvin Ridley is going to be a big piece, but. The biggest thing I think for them right now is just how much more can they help Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Luke Fortner, Chad Muma, you know, how much more can they help them improve? All right, here's a question for you. If you could add, like, one superstar to the roster, just one for offense and defense, who would it be? Like a superstar, like, safety, just like a big position, not a specific player. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, elite slot guy, completely unhinged, would fit, you know, Jacksonville perfectly. He loves posting, so he's ideal. And <laughs> I know those I'm, are your favorite players. You just like the guys who are online as much as you are. Dude, Eli Apple, he, he's on our, he's on a heater right now, dog. He's, oh, man, I forgot about him. And then, like, just every playoffs, he turns into Pat Beverly. Yeah. It's incredible. He's he's on a heater. And then offense, I'm, like, I'm sorry, DeAndre Hopkins, dude, like, he's – 
his skill set's literally perfect for Trevor Lawrence. Like, there's not a, I don't know if there's ever been a receiver in the NFL who fits Trevor Lawrence more than, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. That just, you know, throw, throw it up and get it, you know, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on defense or like a, just like a slot or um, middle of the field coverage guy. Like like a Tyron Matthew from five years ago was kind of my thought. I wasn't thinking Fred of actual free agent or actual available players. <laughs> you uh, Fred Warner would be sick. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Uh, but then on offense, I think, like, a tight end who's, like, a difference maker would make as much of a difference for, like, Doug's play-calling ability and, like, the offensive ceiling as, like, a nuke would. As, like, as much as I've been, like, saying for years now that, like, Zrag's got to get an X to help out the receiver because that's, like, or help out their quarterback because that's the best way that they can. Uh, like, I think, like, a great tight end honestly might be the best way to help out with Trevor and Doug and, like, the team overall. So, I kind of uh, – you have any – go ahead. No, I mean, can I, can I just make my smart-ass comment? Yeah, I, I knew you were sitting okay. on one. <laughs> there's, there's, there's naturally a lot of special tight ends out there. You know, I mean, there's – the NFL is overflowing with them. You know, like, come on, give me, give me a name. There's like two. There's like two of them. Give me a name. Uh, Michael Mayer or Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington, I think, would be a really interesting pick because you could like, like Chris Manhurts played thirty eight percent of snaps, and you obviously want a first rounder to play more. And he could be like Chris Manhurts, who you can actually throw the ball to. So naturally, you know, he could play more. I think he'd be really interesting because he's that, you know, massive length guy, you know, dominates in the trenches, would be good for AFC South. I need to watch more Mayer. I just – I struggle to, like, like that kind of tight end in the first round. He, mm-hmm. he – my, my comp for him is Hawkinson. And TJ Hawkinson's been a great player, but if a draft was today and I knew exactly what Hawkinson produced in the NFL, I still wouldn't take him top ten. I mean, what, what defensive coordinator in the NFL is ever scared of TJ Hawkinson? Nobody played the Vikings this year. Packers defensive coordinator, maybe? No, no, no. He happens to have good games, but there's nobody scared of TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anybody going to be scared of Michael Mayer. That's probably fair. I like That's, I, my, that's my ignorant take. I think you and I definitely both think Ingram is going to be extended. And so for that reason, as you said, like uh, first-round tight end with Ingram wouldn't play a lot, so it wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Um, hey, the Jags trade – I was just saying, like, in theory, like, a great tight end one-two punch for Doug without, like, actually saying any names. So, you would No, have- I, I, I agree with that. I think, like, the big thing for people, like, when you talk about, like, the value of the tight end in the first round, like, with Ingram involved, because it's going to come up. Because I agree with you. I think having a second tight end would be awesome. Because, I mean, it, it was just clear Doug didn't see Darren Arnold as that guy. And Man Hurts, obviously, wasn't that guy as a pass catcher. My response to people who would say, like, there's no value in taking a tight end there because like, I generally agree, but, I mean, they traded up to take an off-ball linebacker in the first round last year after paying one. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they paid an off-ball linebacker. They paid a right guard. They, you know, Balky's drafted a running back in the first round. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the team that really care about, you know, positional value. It seems like they're more player over positional value, which is – where I stand on the Jalen Carter argument on Twitter. So I, <laughs> I, I stand with them. I stand with Trent. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely be like 
a best player available kind of pick. And so it'll be interesting to see just how the board shakes out, as Trent says, and like whether a tight end falls and like maybe that is the best guy. But like, I mean, you and I both posted mock drafts online this week and both had a second round tight end. So I think it'd be a surprise for them not to leave the draft without taking one. And like, even if you bring Ingram back, like you still like if you resign Ingram, you only have two tight ends on the contract. Like, you, yeah. And you, you you need cap friendly pass catchers on this team. You know that's one thing they're missing. You know because all the pass catchers, you know Ridley, Zay Jones, Kirk Ingram. I mean they're all getting paid money. I mean eventually you need somebody who can catch passes and not you know take a big chunk of a big chunk of cap space. But no, I, I'm 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 definitely with it. What was what was that thing that Trent used to say? I think it was when Urban was there that the Urban draft that you and I used to geek at. It was like you you got to listen to the you got to hear the board, you know, yeah, you listen to the board or something like that. And like for some reason in like those videos, is he sounded like Batman? I feel like whenever you hear him now, I don't know. I didn't actually listen to the presser. Does he? Did he still sound the same way? Like he was talking in Bane? Sounds like an ASC South champion. That's what it sounds like. Sounds like you need to put some respect on his name. Hmm. Talking about putting respect on names, uh, in other news, Doug Peterson was officially named or listed or whatever as a finalist for 2022 Coach of the Year. Would you say – I mean, we've kind of given him his flowers today and in the past, but who who would you give the award to? I'd give it to him. You know, Shanahan obviously making it this far with, you know, Brock Purdy is enough reason to, you know – be nominated, obviously, but I think, you know, everybody's kind of understood, you know, throughout that, you know, the 49ers have a kick-ass, you know, <laughs> roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dabble, you know, I mean, they they finished with eight wins, and their, what was their, like, preseason prediction in Vegas? It was like six and a half wins, seven wins. Like, it was up there. You know, so, I mean, like, and they, to me, you know, they – they were they they were a fine team, but I thought they took advantage more of a weak NFC than the Jaguars did a weak AFC South. So I I'd give it to Doug personally. I thought he did the best coaching job. Uh, taking over for Urban Meyer is different than taking over for Joe Judge, in my opinion. And I I, I think overall, just you know what Doug did in like in Jacksonville and what he did with Trevor, I think, and the fashion that they did it. You know, like they, they had a, a top 10 offense with an offense that people were like openly laughing, you know, at the additions that they made. And Doug, you know, kind of said, you know, screw it and <laughs> turn them into one of the most productive offenses in franchise history. Yeah, let them cook. I would say like kind of like the big argument or the one argument for me would just be like he did the most with the least because like Shanahan, as you said, taking Purdy to – the conference championship is incredible, but the Niners and the Eagles, because I think Sirianni is currently like the favorite to win. The Niners and Eagles, like we're both, um, he's a, like the two Super Bowl favorites before the season that like who didn't have a superstar quarterback. I feel like, and they have the two Sir, best rosters in the league. Sirianni's not a finalist. Really? Yeah, it's Dabble, Peterson, and Shanahan. I'm pretty sure he is. Say. Do some more research, numbers, numbers guy. I want. I want to say. I was on the NFL.com website earlier today, and I wrote down Dable, McDermott, Shanahan, Sirianni, Peterson. No, the yeah, the AP came out with the actual finalist, and uh, Sirianni wasn't. He wasn't a part of the finalists. So cool. uh, I will say when he said that Sirianni was the favorite, he's who, got Peterson. Who, who was? Oh, so he's pissed. What are you saying? 
who, who was it that named Doug like head, coach of the year the other day? It was like NFL 101 or football 101 or something like that. Yeah, I feel like it was I've, something I never heard of. I've never heard of that. In my life. <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's cool. And like, I guess it brings up a good point that Doug is easily the AFC coach of the year because all the other really contenders, because like it's not yeah. a permit, I would say. Uh, but like the other real contenders were on the NFC. So AFC yeah. coach of the year officially. But via us and a website slash organization that we don't know the name of. And to think this podcast and to think this podcast stumped for Byron Leftwich. <laughs> no, I did I, I did it, you know, like you know, like put me in the gallows, you know. I'm I'm, I'm guilty. I thought Byron Leftwich should be a good hire. I liked Peterson, you know, I it, I think I had a tweet where I said Peterson was a pumpkin or whatever, and then <laughs> I I remember like at first thinking he was a bad candidate. And then during the process, it was like before the Byron stuff. It was like it, it was just during the time I had COVID. So it was right near the end of the season. I, I did more, you know, diving into his resume, and I came around to him. He was like, I want to say my third or second guy, but I want to left which, and he got fired. So for was, for for the first time in my life, I was wrong. So my detractors. <laughs> the first time, John. Yeah, first time. I was definitely also swept up in like the whole Byron into Jacksonville thing. And, like, kind of stick, taking a step back from the coaching hire, like, I feel like you and I and a lot of other people might have been, like, scared off of Peterson and not realized, like, oh, duh, he led Carson Wentz to an MVP season and Nick Foles to a Super Bowl. Just because of, like, the way things ended in Philly, it was like, ah, like, is he the problem or was it ownership and the GM? Like, ever, like since there was, like, uncertainty around it, or at least in the public and, like, in my eyes, like, that made it, like, a sketchier hire than, like, Oh, Jacksonville's former starting quarterback. And it's not like he was like a highly sought after guy, you know, like he interviewed the Jaguars, he interviewed the Saints. I think he interviewed with the Vikings and I think that's it, you know, like in the two years that he was, you know, on the open market. So it's not like the NFL was exactly jockeying to get him, which, you know, kind of shows, you know, sometimes it's better to get the guy who's proven he can do it while they can get rather than get the, you know, new shiny toy. Cause I mean, if you look at that Eagles roster from 2017 and, Compare it to like the Eagles roster today; it's night and day. Like that, that yeah. roster was not that roster was not very good. Like it wasn't. Well, if, apparently, if Peterson wins a Super Bowl with the Jaguars, knock on wood, but eventually, uh, he would be the first head coach ever to win with two different franchises. And like maybe coaching rankings could be a topic for the offseason, but it's it would be hard to say he's not a top ten coach after just one season in Jacksonville. He's bad. Yeah, and then. And when's the last time like the Jaguars haven't been able to say that since like Tom the Tom Coughlin era? And I have no I have no context for that because I was like a young toddler, young child during then. So I have no idea where Tom Tom ranked, but I mean during their success, like nobody thought Jack Del Rio was like a top eight coach in the NFL or anything like that. And then Doug Marone, you know, was uh, I'll say Doug, the difference between Doug Marone and Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson is an alpha and Doug Marone was a beta. Oh, Doug's a nice so, guy. He was a nice guy, but he was, I don't want to speak he, poorly he, on him. No, I'm not trying to speak poorly on him, but did Doug Peterson, in my opinion, has the personality where he could have navigated the, the 2017, 2018 Jaguars locker rooms. Doug Marone, I do not think, has that kind of gravity to him to where he can command that kind of respect. Yeah, I think it's a good take. I mean, 
the fact that Peterson has like the culture and the play calling is yeah pretty he's an alpha rare yeah he's, he's an alpha other coaching news is the receiver coach for the Jaguars Chris Jackson is taking a job at Texas which okay sure he he got a promotion oh really I I didn't I just saw yeah, he was added to the staff what's his new position He's receivers coach slash passing game coordinator. So I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly Texas College Athletics. I'm, I would imagine he's probably making more than he made the Jaguars. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So are there any? You wrote an article this week about kind of three names that stood out. Do you want to hit on those briefly as like you could replace them as receivers coach for the? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I uh, there was definitely. Uh, <laughs> Solid reactions to those. You know, those are three names, like, because I just think, like, the interesting thing is with Doug and his coaching staff is, like, he can never keep a, like, a receivers coach on staff. <laughs> he's never had a receivers coach for two years. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's been like, coaching six or six as a head coach. Yeah. And diff- different guy every time. And, like, I, I, like when I was, like, researching guys with ties to him, mm-hmm. like, there was one guy who was a receivers coach with him for, one like, one year. I can't remember his name, but I looked him up, and one of the things in his bio is, like, he's regarded as one of the best receivers coach in football because of his work with et cetera. And then the next, like, hyperlink is let go from Eagles due to their issues substituting receivers. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's picked some characters. But, yeah, okay, the three guys I had – it was all right, Matthew Harper. He's the assistant special teams coach at the 49ers currently. Uh, he had the same role with the Eagles on Chip Kelly in the first three years of Doug's tenure. He was a wide receivers coach in 2019, assistant receivers coach in 2020. And so he's somebody Doug knows. Uh, Joe, the, uh, I can't do it as a fan of Come on. I, I, I can't. <laughs> Joe Dorazio? Yeah, sure. Yeah? That's okay, there we go. Hey, uh, he, he has a title. He has a title you'll, you'll sure to love. He's the Columbia University running backs coach and offensive run game coordinator, which mm. screams ride receivers coach. But <laughs> he, he, he he's worked with Andy Reid both, you know, in Philadelphia. And he was like Andy Reid's like assistant to the head coach in Kansas City. And he was an assistant wide receivers coach in Doug's first year in Philly. So he has coached the position before. And then. I, I think David Coley has to be like the first guy Doug calls, man. I mean, like, yeah. like fifteen plus like years of experience at position. You know, he's worked with uh, Andy Reid forever. Like, he's a guy who can be like an assistant head coach type guy, or even like a passing game coordinator guy. I know people hate on him because he had that. There was that one year with the Chiefs. I think it was twenty fourteen where they didn't have a receiver catch a touchdown. I mean, Wash, Dwayne Bowie, and Albert Wilson with their top two receivers. And, like, right. Travis Kelsey and Jamal Charles each had, like, seven touchdown catches. So, it was just, like, a nature of the offense. But, I mean, Coley's resume as a receivers coach is probably, like, out of the available guys, like, all the way up there. And he's been with Doug a ton. You know, like, Doug played for the Eagles when Coley coached there. And then they coached together with the Eagles. And they coached together with the Chiefs. So, there are definitely a lot of ties there. So, those are, are three names I think are worth watching. I have no source – to report anything on any interests or anything, but those are three names that I, I think at least makes sense if you're just like connecting the dots name wise. So you're saying Chad Ochocinco and Jimmy Smith weren't on your list? Yeah, no, yeah. Love, 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 love Jimmy, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I see it happening. Yeah, <laughs> neither, none of the above for sure. 
Coley was the uh, Texans head coach, right? Same guy. Yeah, it's, it's another easy to former head coach on the roster. Uh, yeah, two two and zero oh against Urban Meyer. True that. He he got the shaft by the Texans too because like the the Texans were better than they should have been, you know, in two thousand twenty one. Yeah. Definitely got a theme. I mean, same thing just happened to Levy. Josh McDaniels. <laughs> And on the bright side, though, the Jaguars, if they were going to lose a position coach, wide receivers coach is probably a position they can handle because Christian Kirk's a veteran, Zay Jones is a veteran, Calvin Ridley's a veteran, Jamal Agnew's a veteran. Like, you know, like there's not many guys that you need to like teach the position to, you know? Right. Um, all right. I think the last piece of housekeeping is the exit interview this week from Trent Baalke. I was not there. John, were you there? I was there. John, do you have any takeaways? I I missed Doug's because I was driving back from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I literally, like, I rolled into Jacksonville at, like, 7.30 a.m., picked up my dogs from where they were being boarded at because my fiance was also out of town while I was out of town, like, and did something at the house and then went straight to Trent. So I was, like, it was, like, a 17-hour car drive, and I went straight to Trent Balky. So I just – I. <laughs> I had it in me where I was just ready to get in there and get the heck out. But it was, it, it was, I thought, you know, an illuminating press conference. Like he said, you know, forthright what, you know, you and I have been saying for months now, what I've been reporting for months now is that the Jaguars, you know, they're kind of shifting their mindset, you know, don't expect them to go up and spend big in free agency this year because now they're trying to become a draft and develop team, you know, a team that retains their own guys, you know? So that was the big thing. I, you know, he said, there was mutual interest with Evan Ingram, which I thought was important, and that he hopes they don't, you know, use the franchise tag. So I, I, I wouldn't imagine they're going to franchise tag Evan Ingram or Jawan Taylor. And then, you know, o- overall, it, it seemed like that, you know, what he was expecting out of the roster heading into next year is for kind of, you know, outside of a few pieces here and there for the offense, for the cast of characters to kind of remain the same. You know, and like he, he's – he said how important it was that Trevor would have mostly the same guys. And he even alluded to, he said, there might be a new face here or there, but outside of Calvin Ridley, it's going to be like, you know, the same, the same backs, the same receivers, you know, potentially the same tight ends with everything we're coming back. So those are the big things, you know, so it made me think, you know, they're going to focus on defense in the draft. They want Evan Ingram back and they're going to be a team that is really, you know, kind of cautious and free agency right now, because now they want to move into, you know, what good teams do, which is, you know, don't spend a ton of money in free agency. <laughs> they want to do what the good guys do. It makes sense. It's a good plan. Uh, the, it wasn't for the presser, but Arden Key apparently talked to media and said that he was interested in staying in Jacksonville, which is pretty cool to see because I think he would be, like, a huge readdition to the defense as, like, a true pass-rushing contributor. Uh, someone that definitely brings a lot of spirit to the team as well in the locker room. And then Jawan Taylor is kind of the third big name for upcoming Jaguars for agents. And it feels like he's a little bit of the odd man out with Walker Little performing well in limited action both this year and last year when he played a little bit. Uh, And then Cam Robinson being on a big extension or big contract. You think think Walker's going to – or not Walker. Jawan's going to get a bag elsewhere? I I, I do think he at least has to mark him. I – my expectation for like who they bring back, like I think they bring Ingram back, I think they bring Key back, I think they bring DeWan Smoot back, 
Mm-hmm. Smoot, I think, is going to come relatively cheap because of his injury, obviously. But it makes yeah. sense for both sides. Like, like they both know each other. So it's kind of, you know, best outcome for an injured guy. And I think Juwan, you know, like if – I'm just thinking about it from, the you know, the business perspective. If I'm Juwan's representation, you know, I have a 25-year-old client who has started 68 out of 68 games, plays a premium position. He was a second-round pick. He's coming off the best year of his career where he was, you know, I'd say what, like a top six to eight right tackle this year. Now, yeah, I'm looking at the Jaguars. Top 10. Like, yeah, top 10. I'm, I'm looking at what the Jaguars paid Cam Robinson and I'm asking, you know, why aren't I getting that? You know, and I don't think the Jaguars would give him a contract like that when you have a guy like Walker Little. So, like, it's unfortunate, you know, like, yeah, in a perfect world, the Jaguars could have three NFL, you know, starting caliber offensive tackles on their roster, but there's a reason it just doesn't happen very often. Mm-mm. I mean, like Cam and Jawan have both been on the roster so much that it just like kind of came time for them to pay up or find someone to pay them. But it was like I think like a underrated storyline from the past season for the Jaguars is how lucky they got with health because Smoot went down, but then Roy Robertson Harris like really turned it up immediately after that. Cam Robinson went down, but Walker Little was right there to step up. And then same thing with Ben Barchu was another offensive line starter who went down, but kind of had a guy ready to fill in. And so like, I feel like those are the three main injuries and really the only injuries. And so I don't know, keep having good health. I'd say is a way to stay with these final four teams as we were talking about, just be like the good teams and have good health. Uh, it's well said. Well said. <laughs> uh, Hot take of the week, John? Uh, hot take of the week. I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm, I'm a curmudgeon, but I'm I'm sick of saying tweets about Kadarius Tony is, uh, as Lewis Riddick would say in all caps, a beast when you look up and he has like five touches for 30 yards. Like, I'm I'm sick of it. The Kadarius Tony takes are the hype beast takes of football Twitter right now. <laughs> and that is where I'm, I'm planting my flag. He, he like he he's like the best he's like the best wide receiver for like in NFL history like nobody has ever talked about a receiver for this much. I feel like he hasn't really done anything in the punt return game either, right? Because I've seen him with like return punts, but not really like do anything crazy like he did ever once in a while as a Gator. Nah, I don't, I don't, nah. I don't think so either. I, I don't think so. But that's that's where I plant my flag is that. If you tweet about Kadarius Tony going crazy and he doesn't have fifty yards, then you should. Be put in Twitter jail. <laughs> All right, that's a pretty good one. Mine is I was going to write an article before the season of like ranking playoff teams by what their NBA Jam duo would be. You know what I'm talking about with NBA Jam? <laughs> and so, like, uh, if it was like coaches and players, and so I didn't end up writing it because I didn't have time because I'm busy. So, what? But the take is that Joe Burrow and Lou Inarano from the Bengals, I think, is like the best just duo in the league right now. Like they're both it, just like piping hot and like playing are doing really well. Dude, why doesn't Lou get interviews? He like the, the that Bengals defense rules. Apparently he was like their like third or fourth like can uh option or like the third or fourth guy that they wanted when they were hiring when Zach Taylor was putting together his staff. Mick I I had never heard of him before. Yeah, <laughs> before then so makes, I don't like, think I like he I don't think I really had it until, like, last year's playoffs when, like, the Bengals had that great game plan against the Chiefs. But then, like, this whole year, like, he's been cooking against, like, elite quarterbacks. 
he's kind of like the reason I was saying earlier, uh, like the best strategy is to be able to be adaptable because he's been so adaptable on defense and so great at putting his guys in positions to succeed. Be water. Be water. It's Jackie Chan, right? Bruce Lee. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we got to end the podcast now. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. No. Well, you can. John's turn, turned out a bunch of good stuff that I read to prepare for the podcast that you can find on jaguarreport.com. I have some stuff on bigcatcountry.com. Finished my prop bets <laughs> column uh, in the positive. I don't remember exactly what the record was, but I was proud of that. But uh, yeah, hopefully this full stream worked. But episode 31 will be coming to you whenever we feel like it. It did. It did. And, you know, I feel like I, I'm, I'm glad we got this kick back up and going, guys. And I appreciate everybody for sticking for us for all of our <laughs> multiple technical issues throughout the throughout the uh, podcast. But what I'll say is, you know, it's just part of the charm. It's, you know, like a like a good restaurant with, you know, dirty floors and a manager who openly apprehends customers. It, it's part of the charm. You know, it. it <laughs> 30 floors? Yeah, that's how you know it's good. All right. Well, what are you time. eating? You, what, what are you doing? Eating at Roos Crisp with Jackie Chan every night? Yeah, I'm probably going to go Chipotle after this. That, yeah, that's another hot take. Chipotle is overrated. Yeah. Moe's like is a, better than Chipotle. That's like a yesterday hot take, though. Like, that was a good hot take two years ago. Moe's is better than now Chipotle. I've heard, I've heard that take too many times for it to be hot. Cadobo is better in Chipotle. Who? I don't know what okay. that is. Move it along. Move That's it on along. the other side of the river from me. All right. All right. Let's end the stream. We'll see you guys 